Let me ask, is anyone here in pain today? Yeah, uh, I think to some degree we all are. It's like Charlie prayed, emotional, spiritual, physical. For the last year for me, it's been a very painful one on all of those fronts. Um, for myself and those I love, including so many of you, um, who you've allowed me to share in your pain for the year, thank you. Uh, it's difficult, and we, we don't know how to often deal with pain. We wrestle with it. We don't understand it. But how many think pain is good? Raise your hand. All right, there's a few people. Um, you know, you drop your marshmallow in the campfire. Why don't you stick your hand in there and get it? Because pain says don't do that. You're allergic to bees. You get a bee sting. Oh, you focus your attention immediately, right? Maybe you get a little pain in your side. turns out to be appendicitis, and that pain saved your life. So raise your hands now if you think pain is a good thing. Okay, keep your hands up. The ushers will come down the aisle and break your fingers. <laughs> Right? It's paradoxical. It's, it's something that's both good and bad, like Brussels sprouts. We, you know, we, we know it's good for us, but we don't like it. Maybe liver. So let me, let me ask you this. Can some good come from the pain? I'm trying to keep the kids entertained today, too. Can some good come from a shot, a vaccination, a flu shot? Yeah, painful to go through. You ever lost a job? Sometimes you get a better one. You ever lost a boyfriend or a girlfriend? That can be painful. Sometimes you get a better one. Sometimes we go through painful things to get something better because painful things can produce good in our life. Our mind says it's good. Our body says it hurts. We don't like it, but we still know it's good for us. So how often have you heard this question? Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, I'll tell you what, if we can show that pain is a good thing, that it's used in our life for a good reason, and we can look at the scripture and say that there's none good but God, that all of us are rebellious, unrighteous creatures, then the question really becomes this, why do good things happen to bad people? Or maybe this question, why does a good and loving God allow his people to suffer pain? Well, my Bible tells me he is a good and loving God. And we also know that we suffer pain. How do you resolve that? This has been a challenge for many people, many Christians. The answer is found in Scripture. Now, as I've been struggling with my pain, and we took on the book of Hebrews, I said, let me just go through the book of Hebrews to see what it has to say about pain and suffering. There's a lot. And I want to run through what I found today with you to share with you God's perspective of pain and suffering, and hopefully maybe we can make a little more sense of it, ask some different questions at the end of the day. So, how about this one? No pain, no gain. Not always true. How many of you have ever gained weight? <laughs> how many have ever gained money in a stock market? It wasn't particularly painful, was it? No. Pleasurable, actually. The thing with this one is, though, we, it's implied that we cause the pain. We hurt ourselves intentionally so that we can gain from it. Well, what if God causes the pain? And I know there's this raging debate about whether God just allows pain or whether he actually causes it. But if you read the scripture, God causes pain. There was a flood. There was Sodom and Gomorrah. There was Lot's wife. The Israelites, many, many of them suffered at God's hand. Just go through the list. Ananias and Sapphira. Jesus Christ. How many have suffered directly at the hand of God? 
Yes, God allows pain. Story of Job. Satan came to him and said, I want to hurt your servant Job. And God allowed him to do that. So both are in the scripture, but we can't deny the fact that sometimes God's the one who brings the pain into our life. And he has reasons for that. So I've named today's teaching, No Pain, No Gain, K-N-O-W. If we come to understand the pain that we're working through or suffering with, maybe we can also know the gain that God is trying to work in our lives. This also isn't true every time. Sometimes it's just senseless pain. We hit our thumb with a hammer, right? We do things that defies God's laws of gravity or nature, whatever they are, we wind up getting hurt. Sometimes we just don't learn from our pain, in which case it's wasted. We haven't gained anything. The opposite can be true, too. You can know pain and you can know loss. My good friends, Tony and Lois Bartolucci, lost their only daughter to a drunk driver a year ago Christmas. I don't know how to put that in context. I don't think there could be anything worse that a parent could ever suffer than to see a child die. If there was something worse, that would have been the price paid for our sin. I think it's a Job thing. We're not going to know until eternity why Gianna had to die at 14 years old. Sometimes great pain brings great loss, but someday it will make sense. I can promise you that because of the verse in front of us that we all know. Romans 8:28. We know that those who love for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Is pain a thing? And it's included in the all things category. Pain and suffering are those things that God will use for the good for those of us who love him. Joseph sold into slavery, and in the end he said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Job's suffering was terrible, and yet to this day we have so much wisdom from the word because of the story of Job. It was much to gain by someone else suffering. God works it together for the good. No matter how it comes out, there is some way, somehow, that someone can gain from pain. God uses every event in our lives to accomplish something either temporal or eternal, either for our good or for someone else's. And that's what we're going to look at today. And we're going to do it by running quickly through the book of Hebrews. Uh, We're going to start, um, before we go there, to Romans 8.29, one of the things that we can gain is Christ-likeness. If you look at the very next verse... It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformage to the image of his son. God often uses pain to conform us to Christ. At the beginning of the Hebrew series, Pastor Dave used this little known verse from Isaiah. God speaking said, behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake, for my own sake. One of the many skills my dad had was metalworking. He couldn't drive down the street and see a screen door on the side of the road without pulling over and strapping it to the top of the car so we could take it home and he could melt it down and turn it into something. And I'd watch him as he heated up his furnace and melted that aluminum down. He'd take all the impurities and scrape it off and kept doing that until the aluminum was just pure and shiny and reflecting his own image. And when that happened, he would take it off the heat immediately and pour it into his mold and make these things that still sit in the garage to this day. But God's doing the same thing in our life, right? He's not using a metalsmith's furnace. He's using the furnace of affliction for his own sake to burn off the impurities in our life. 
to get us to a place to where we can reflect Him to the world around us and back to Him. He won't leave us in the furnace one minute longer than we need to be. He won't turn it up one degree any further just until the time is right, and then it stops. And He's with us in that furnace like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saw one such as the Son of God standing in the furnace with him. So now we can go over to Hebrews. The first thing we can gain is Christ-likeness. In Hebrews chapter 2, it says we can gain glory and honor through suffering. Talking about Jesus here, it says, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Sometimes times of great abasing and pain can cause great abounding in glory, honor, and praise. Peter knew this. He wrote in 1 Peter 1, 6, and 7, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the testing of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17 says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. These light momentary afflictions somehow can bring honor and glory to us in the eternal state as well as to God. I'm not sure how it all works in eternity, but I do know that it can work in this life too. In John chapter 9, there's a story of a blind man, born blind. And the Pharisees are asking Jesus, why was he born blind? Was it the sin of his parents? And Jesus said, no, he was born blind so the works of God can be displayed in his life for his sake. Jesus then heals the man, and he's being questioned. And he said, look, this man must be from God. He must be a prophet. No one's ever given sight to the blind before. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. He finds Jesus, and he falls at his scene, and he worships him. His affliction brought praise, honor, and glory to Christ in this life. And maybe we should be taking a look at that. Maybe we should ask ourselves, how can our trials bring praise, glory, and honor now to God, knowing that someday in the future it certainly will. Maybe that's a little different perspective. Here's another thing we can gain from Hebrews 5, 7, and 8, obedience. It says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Now, I would think if anybody didn't need to learn obedience, it was Christ. And yet, in his humanness, in his frailty, being exactly like us, being tempted as we were tempted, having to obey his heavenly Father as we are to, he still had to suffer to learn obedience. Just think of the Garden of Gethsemane where he was suffering in such agony that he actually sweated blood. What was the end result of that agonizing prayer? 
Not my will be done, but your will be done. He became obedient to the Father's will. Pain gets our attention and causes us to obey. How many of you have sent your dogs to obedience school? Turns out that dogs that go to obedience school live longer and happier lives. How many of you have been to disobedience school? <laughs> Though he was a son, he learned obedience through suffering. Short-term pain can sometimes teach us obedience. It hurts, but we know it's good for us. C.S. Lewis said, Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Sometimes when we're in pain, we need to stop and listen. Focus a little bit. Maybe God's saying, I need you to obey in a certain area, and you are not obeying. Pain has a way to wake us up to that reality, to, to bring us to a place of change or repentance. Sometimes when everything's going good, we think we've got all we want, and we don't realize what we need is God. So he gets back into our life sometimes in a way that grabs our attention, confronts us with pain. Now, as a side note, for those of you who don't know Christ, the pain you are suffering right now may be the pain to lead you to Christ. How many of you came to understand Christ as your Savior through a difficult time in your life? Quite a few people have. God uses that pain as his wake-up call. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 1st chapter, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, he will take vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Obey. Repent. Turn from your sin. Get off the throne and let King Jesus rule your life as Lord. It's a command that we're given to obey. If you don't do it in this life, you will do it in the next because someday every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Sometimes our pain is trying to get us to that point. The next verse says, These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. If that pain that you're experiencing today does not lead you to a saving knowledge of Christ, if it does not force you to obey the gospel, then that pain was wasted and you may live in pain for eternity. It's a stern warning from Scripture, and I ask you to consider it seriously today. Don't mess with this. Don't mess with this God who's trying to get your attention today. Don't waste your pain. Don't suffer eternally because of it. We can gain a better resurrection. Hebrews 10, 32. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light? When you endured in a great conflict full of suffering, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possessions. Wow, here's some people that went through some very tough times, lost everything they had saying, doesn't matter. I know my treasure's in heaven. 
I have an enduring, lasting possession right now in heaven where my citizenship is with Christ. I don't care about this world. I don't care what I have to go through in this world. I don't care how hard it is. I know I have something better in the resurrection. If you jump over a page to 1135, it says, Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. It states somehow that the more we suffer, the better the next life will be. You think of the story of the rich man and Lazarus, right? The rich man had everything he wanted, and Lazarus was a poor beggar who was sick and who had dogs come up, lick the sores on his feet. His life was so bad, and he begged the rich man in this life for food, just crumbs off the table, and the rich man didn't give it to him. And then in Luke 16, we're told they both die. The rich man goes to a place of torment, and Lazarus goes to a place of Abraham's bosom where there's joy and peace. And the rich man cries out, and Abraham says back to him, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. I'm not saying rich people go to hell. But I am saying that if you're a Lazarus and you've really struggled and suffered in this life, you may have a much better life in eternity. And maybe it's just by comparison. How many of you woke up today feeling like this? Pain-free, life is great, not a care in the world. Or how many, like me, woke up today grabbing something saying, ouch, it hurts. Man, when I was 20, I didn't have a need for a new glorified body. Now, bring it on. Bring it on, right? Sometimes the worse it gets here, the better it's going to be there, and it's just a plain, simple thing. All right, let's look at another one here. A greater testimony in Hebrews 11, 36 through 40. Now, here we're in the context of the Hall of Faith, these great men and women of the Bible who suffered and endured great things and were chosen by God to set an example for us to follow. And it says that some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. You know what the author says about these people? The world was not worthy of them. What do you want to be remembered for? You want a Nobel Prize? NFL Pro Bowler? Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Winner of 10 Academy Awards? President of the United States? Or would you rather have your gravestone said, the world was not worthy of this person? Yeah, well, how do you get there? How do you get to that, extinct, that distinction? Take a look again at the list. All right? Jeers, flogging, chains, imprisonment, put to death by stoning, sawed in two, killed by the sword, wandering around in goatskins, mistreated. How was your week? Internet go down? Cable TV out? Wegmans ran out of your favorite ice cream? Wow. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. It talks in Hebrews 11 about this great cloud of witnesses, these people that have gone before us that we're supposed to follow. Well, guess what? We're part of that great cloud of witnesses. People are going to be looking to us and see what kind of testimony we're leaving behind for the next generation. 
How do we fit into God's unchanging plan? Even if that plan includes pain and suffering, we should come to put it in the context of God is still working a good thing in his people. Think about John the Baptist. Jesus called him the greatest man ever born of a woman. Lived in a desert, wore goatskins, ate bugs, and was beheaded. How'd you like that for a resume? That's a great man. Think about people we might know. Corey Tenboom, Johnny Erickson Tata, folks that have had terrible things happen in their lives, who have made a great use of those terrible things in their suffering. The Apostle Paul, Job, Jesus. Their testimony is great because of their suffering. God is weaving a testimony through all of us from Adam to the last man standing. We have to understand we're part of his perfect, unwavering plan. Do you want to have a life worth living? Do you want to have a closer walk with God? Do you want to have a greater ability to comfort others when they're struggling? Do you want to have a genuine testimony about a legacy, a legend for people to follow? Do you want to have a packed-out funeral? Well, then maybe you're going to have to learn how to grow through pain. A British journalist and Catholic theologian, somewhat renegade, called Malcolm Muggeridge, said this, Contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experience that I have, that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful with particular satisfaction. Indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have learned in my 75 years in this world Everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my experience has been through affliction and not through happiness. How many of you can say the same thing? I've learned the most, grown the most through the hard times in my life and kind of cruised through the happiness and easy times. Hi, right, you want a paradox? Point six. Pain can bring us joy. Hebrews 12. Now, Sometimes other people's pain brings us laughter, right? Why are you laughing? You shouldn't be. These people are being hurt. Somebody once said that uh, our sin looks particularly bad when we see other people commit it. And our pain looks particularly good when we see other people experience it. But this is not the joy that he's talking about. It says here in Hebrews 12, 2 and 3, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated on the right hand of the throne of God. Pain is not joyful, but the results of it can be. The first mention in the Bible of pain is in childbearing, where the woman was going to be increased in pain as she went into labor. How many of you have ever been in the delivery room and saw that pain and saw that screaming or heard it, and then the next minute, joy? Christ lived a sacrificial life, experienced a brutal death on the cross. The whippings, the thorns, the mocking, the jeering, the nails, the wrath of God as he took the sin of the world upon his shoulders. No one has ever suffered more than him, and yet for the joy that was before him, he endured the cross. And you know what? Our pain sometimes brings joy to other people. My wife gave birth. I didn't feel a thing, but I got the joy of holding a baby. Anybody here have any joy because Christ went to the cross? Oh, yeah. Sometimes our pain is not for ourselves. 
The author goes on to say, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Prolonged pain is difficult, to say the least. In the short-term, pain will redirect us. In the long-term, pain will change us. And it's a question of what it's going to change us into. And the author says, stay focused on Christ. Stay focused on the joy that was before him as he went through the pain. Try to understand what God is doing, how he's trying to mold you to the image of Christ. Keep your eyes and your heart there so you don't lose hope and become depressed. Try to think maybe the joy your pain might be bringing other people in a good way. Let's look at another here. Correction and training in Hebrews 12. Related to obedience, but different. And the first part of Hebrews 12 was talking about if God loves us, he's going to chastise us. And it says in verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I think we all want God to be some paternal benevolent in the sky that always does nice things for us and goes easy on us and never has to take us to the woodshed. Not the case. Sometimes he uses pain to train us and to correct us. Ever touched a hot stove? Ever touched one twice? Ever missed an anniversary? (laughs) Ever missed two? Pain has a way of teaching us. God teaches us that way as well. Martin Luther said, Were it not for tribulation, I would not understand the scripture. Sometimes in our pain, we go into the word more like I have with Hebrews, and I learn so much more about the scripture and about God because my pain has forced me there. Read David's Psalms. I think you'll learn a lot about God when you're in pain by looking through the pain he went through. We don't always understand why God puts us through the tribulation, but he has a purpose in it. Spurgeon says sometimes God sends his mercies in a black envelope. We don't realize he's doing a good thing in our life. It seems black and dark to us, but God's working a good thing. You know, sometimes when things are going well, we don't look beyond our circumstances. We don't see a need for change. We're just focused on the present, on our own self. We forgot about the eternal. We forgot about God altogether. So he brings us a little bit of pain to start teaching us a few lessons that we need to learn in life. And sometimes the more painful it is, the more we learn and grow. Somebody once said that every flower that ever blossomed had to go through some dirt to get there. So it is with us. Pain and suffering can help us grow, get us moving in the right direction, turn us from our sinful ways and grow us in our reliance on God and and teach us what we need to know. Finally, verses 8 through 10, or points 8 through 10, our pain can bring prayers to God, praise to God, and pleasure for God. You don't need to turn back, but one I missed was Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I tell you, nothing increases your prayer life like pain, whether it's yours or somebody else's. How many people are on prayer chains and 90% of them are pain and suffering prayer requests? Pain has a way of of focusing you on God, so you will involve him. Uh, Brief story and 25 years ago, my daughter was diagnosed with a four-stage cancer when she was nine months old. And they told me that we had to do surgery in the morning on her, and I had to stay in the night at the hospital with her. I was in shock. The doctor came in and sat down with me, and he says, where's your faith at? 
And I said, I'm a brand new Christian. I don't know anything. I don't know about baptism. I don't know what happens to kids when they die. I don't even know how to pray. And he said, well, good. Because I don't think this thing's going to happen. In the realm of medicine, it's going to happen in the realm of faith. He said, but let me ask you one thing. I know it's the worst day of your life. Would you please pray for a little girl in the room next door? She's a patient of mine, and tonight is probably her last night. And he said this, that sometimes when you're in pain and you pray for other people, God delights to answer those prayers. My wife and I prayed for that little girl. In the morning, when it was time for my daughter's surgery, the doctor came and he got me and he said, come here a minute, I want to show you something. Went in the room next door, the little girl was sitting up in bed drinking orange juice. He said, she's going home. A year later, at a random meeting, I wound up sitting next to this little girl at a luncheon. Didn't know it was her. Got to talking with her, and then we realized who she was. The girl that I had prayed for with my wife. The girl that God had healed. In that pain, the most painful time of my life, I found out God is a miracle-working God, and he still heals today. And I found out he does delight when I, answer, when I pray for someone else in my trial. And oh, by the way, he healed my daughter. That's a whole other sermon. We're out of time. Um, but that leads to the second point, the praise of God. Through our pain, we can wind up praising God. We sang it in every song today, right? At all times, Psalm 34 says, we should always have the sacrifice of praise on our lips. Easy maybe when there's a healing. Easy when we've had a successful surgery and say, okay, thank you, God, I can praise you. But do we praise him when we're in the midst of a trial? Grace played for us today, it is well. Or Amazing Grace, songs written in very difficult times. And yet, they still, to this day, bring praise to God because of that trial and persecution. In all things, give thanks. We pray, we praise, and then here's the other oxymoron, that pain can bring pleasure for God. Hebrews 13, 16, do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. 2 Corinthians first chapter says, if you have been comforted by God in your trials, go put your arm around somebody else and comfort them. Let me tell you how God brought me through this. Let me show you the scriptures God showed me. Let me tell you the miracle work in God we serve. C.S. Lewis says, pain is not good in itself. What is good in any painful experience is for the sufferer, his submission to the will of God. And for the spectators, the compassion aroused in the acts of mercy to which it leads. Look at the Good Samaritan. I'd be willing to bet at one time he was left destitute, which is why he reached out. I think Dan Lansbury's um, email tag says, the first two men walked by and said, what would happen to me if I helped that man? And the Good Samaritan said, what would happen to that man if I don't help him? But the difference in our attitude. If God has done something great in your life, if you have felt the pain that someone else is feeling, if you've lost a child, if you've lost a loved one, if you've lost a job, if, if you've survived cancer, God will bring someone into your path that's going through that same thing. Encourage them. Comfort them. That brings pleasure to God, is what we're told. Let's turn back to Romans 8, where we started, we'll end. Romans 8, 35. The Apostle Paul sure gets this. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul's saying we can either become victims or victors. We can wallow in our self-pity, our bitterness. We can blame God for our pain instead of thanking him. We can try to numb it with drugs and alcohol or grit our teeth and endure it and never learn from it. We can use it as an excuse to live a defeated life or... By God's grace, we can focus on the eternal weight of glory that it's going to bring. We can triumph through it by bringing God glory and honor. We can learn obedience and submission, correction. We can increase our testimony. And we can use it to bring joy to other people. See, in all things, God must increase and we must decrease. Pain has a way of doing that in a hurry. It teaches us that God is the center of the universe. He doesn't exist for us. We don't exist for us. We exist for him. He's the potter. We're the clay. He can do what he needs to do. And if he has to put us in the fire every now and then, well, he has to put us in the fire every now and then. And like Job, we may never know why, but maybe we can get to the place where Job was at. Yet, though he slay me, I will trust him. Someday in the end, the glory of God will be maximized. When Christ turns the kingdom over to the Father, we will see that everything that ever happened in our lives, good or bad, maximized the glory at that moment when eternity is finally ushered in. It'll all make sense then, and maybe some of it won't make sense until that time. But we know this. Pain is inevitable and misery is optional. And we can count on this thing from Hebrews, that Jesus is greater than our pain. Because we know someday pain will be gone. It's not needed in the eternal state. Christ paid the price for sin, for death, and for pain, that they will be no more. He's beat that enemy for us. He's conquered that foe. But until then, by God's grace, with an attitude of gratitude, we can prevail over our pain and become better, not bitter. We can actually become more than conquerors, not victims. God is working to mold us for his sake and to the image of Christ. It doesn't get much better than that. If we know pain, we can know gain. May the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen.